This is the GPL Podcast from GoForPuckLive.com. You know, I, I think there is some shenanigans happening in the goalie community. Are, are you going to speak on that? In as, the goalie as a, community. Oh, you, know, oh, goalie? you know I got to ride with Goalie Nation, but... Uh, <laughs> do make mistakes. I love it. And so I had to train for this marathon. <laughs> make sure you stay awake for the game tomorrow. <laughs> you know, a yes. good recruiting tip is like, where, where can I get a good drink around here? Uh, this is a 10.8% beer danker hoppier lots of loaf of bread (laughs) yes it is (laughs) now here's jupiter and vigo good evening and welcome to the gpl podcast episode number 229 well vigs not quite the weekend we thought it was going to be, but still not terrible. It's always probably good for Minnesota when they don't play very well and come out of the weekend with four points. I didn't think the Gophers played very well on either night, yeah. but the skill rose to the top on that one. So uh, good result for them. It was a good result. Um, So we've got a new guest joining us this week on the GPL podcast. We ran into him last year when he visited us at Mariucci, making his trip over from Michigan. We have Connor Irgut from the Michigan Daily. Let's bring him in. Connor, first off, nice to meet you, and hello from Minnesota. How's it going? It's going really well. You know, like I said, you you made the trip last year, and um, we were glad to have you, and I'm glad to have you on the show this week. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you coming coming on with us. Um, Vigo and I have talked about this. Um, Michigan, not quite having the season we thought they would. They're pairwise, still pretty good. And they got a couple games in hand in, you know, and the teams ahead of them in the Big Ten standings, but it's it's not quite the season we thought it was going to be for Michigan, is it, Connor? No, and especially after after last season, right? I mean, if you believe that that tournament champions are, are Big Ten champions, you know, obviously had a really successful season. What they were two or three points outside of first place, if I'm mm-hmm. remembering right. It's a long time ago, um, even though it's a year. Uh, no, it's it's definitely been a, a little bit of a. I don't want to call it outright a disappointing season for them. Um, just because they had so many guys leave. You have Matty Beniers leave, Brisson, Power, like so many star NHL talents that like you can't really replace that with freshmen. Um, so it was going to be a little bit of a down year. But being, what, fifth place in the Big Ten, even with games at hand, like that's not a, a Michigan hockey outcome that you can really expect. And Viggs, we didn't really see that coming either. Well, maybe we were hinting at it in our season preview. I, well, I kind of we didn't think they would be in first, and you didn't think they would be in second. You, you, you picked Notre Dame to be second, but you know Michigan was kind of the, the next tier there, weren't they? I, I was putting them below Ohio State in my tier of Ooh, the conference. Them's fighting because, words <laughs> because I thought Michigan was going to struggle with it with the coaching staff turmoil and True. a new coach in charge. I just think you can't really dismiss that as an issue for Michigan and they had players who really controlled the pace last year with Ben years and power. And I think they're struggling without that consistency because we've seen with the Gophers, 
if you're inconsistent and your best players are inconsistent, it's hard to be successful. That is true. That is true. Well, let's get into this weekend's games, Viggs, before we get more in-depth with Michigan this weekend. Minnesota goes into Notre Dame. We picked a sweep this week. They get a a late, last-minute tie from Lacombe Friday night, lose the extra point in in the shootout, Um, come back with a better game, a much better game Saturday night, where Notre Dame typically plays a better game. Um, So not a terrible weekend, but not uh, the best result, I would say. I wasn't really impressed with either night, to be okay. honest. I th- I thought on Saturday they got a couple goals with their skill players making skill plays at the right time, but mm-hmm. they got outshot pretty heavily on Saturday. They gave up. Close saved their bacon. <laughs> at least four breakaways, maybe more, if I was remembering the weekend correctly. You know, it was not successful hockey. You can't do that weekend, weekend out and, and win a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Luckily, Minnesota's good players made good plays at the right time. I mean, that Cooley goal, I think that's something we're going to start to see when they're in a special team's advantage and he's got time and space. He can just kind of hold and drag and change angles on goalies and put the puck in the net. I mean, that was an absolute snipe from him. And on the flip side, Connor, Michigan, it was an ugly Friday night. Yes. Um <laughs> All, all credit in the world, right, to Ohio State. Yes, uh, they're Michigan a good team. just didn't show up that game. Uh, you, you could kind of tell, based on that first period, not their night. Um, and ev- everyone in postgame, uh, we talked to their captain, Nolan Moyle, uh, Jacob Truscott as well, and, and Michigan's coach, Brandon Dorado. And everyone kept repeating the term buy-in uh, and, and just saying how unacceptable that effort was. Uh, I think Jacob Truscott used the term embarrassing. Uh, not to, I hope I'm not misquoting there, um, but just we're not happy. Uh, Michigan wasn't with the effort that night. And, uh, obviously getting blown out by five goals in uh, your home bar and first time since 1999 that's happened. Oh, boy. Um, not a good look. Connor, one thing I noticed about the box score is all the power play goals for the Buckeyes. What kind of penalties were the Wolverines taking? And were they good penalties? Bad penalties, selfish penalties, what lazy penalties? How would you describe them? I'm a firm believer that there's usually not good penalties because you put yourself in the in the position to take them. Uh, the only somewhat redeemable penalty, I think, was uh, Luca Fantilli pushing someone down that had an empty net, basically. Uh, Eric Portillo gave up a really soft rebound, kind of rolled just to the right of uh, right of the crease. I forget who from Ohio State had a chance to shoot it, and Luca Fantilli just bowled him over, uh, and they scored right on that power play. <laughs> so kind of, you know, delayed fate basically, but didn't change the outcome. Um, Any offensive zone penalties that you just <laughs> that just kill you? <laughs> nothing that was out of the ordinary because they take so many penalties as a team. Okay. Partially because they play so fast and then get trapped and then end up having to, to chase and prevent a rush and uh, sometimes – Illegal hits, it's like they see the numbers and they decide they want to hit those instead of uh, a clean body check. Uh, so sometimes that's a, a little little frustrating, I think, for that team. Uh, but it's also freshman mistakes. Um, when you have guys like Rugger McGordy that kind of plays inside the lines usually but can, can kind of test the boundaries here and there. Um, Marcus Stopp is a sophomore, but he can tend to throw it around, although he hasn't really, I don't think, taken many penalties this season. Um, I think the worst penalty of the weekend actually came in Michigan's win. 
uh, Ethan Edwards put a hit on Joe Dunlap from Ohio State, and I just led with the elbow. And he yeah. didn't have a clean clean angle on him at all, and just it ended up knocking Dunlap's helmet off, uh, which was a little bit concerning. He, he got up okay. Uh, I don't think any lasting damage from that. Um, but when you have guys that have been around, like you can't be that undisciplined. And I, I, I don't know if it's emblematic of – I mean, you guys mentioned the, the the coaching turnover, right? Like, you can't really dismiss that. I, I don't know if it's based on the coaches because um, they've obviously spread their message and tried to enforce that. I, I think it's more the onus for that goes on the players um, to, to actually absorb the lessons and, and really not, you know, be undisciplined like that. Everything's a choice. Uh, yeah. You're just making the wrong one. Oh, I see this question from the birthday boy himself, Eric Brever. Any remaining fallout from the Mel situation? Is it truly over? <laughs> uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll be uh, diplomatic about how I answer this because there's probably going to be some upcoming coverage about this situation. I don't want to tease anything because uh, I can't promise when and if it will come out. Um, but he has been around two games at Yoast uh, in, in the – it's called like the Champions Box or something. Uh, it's the little private boxes. Um, however, uh, like Michigan has tried, I, I believe, at least as far as we've been explained to you by spokespersons um, and by folks inside athletics, tried to cut ties, obviously, because when you have a, I'll say, disgraced coach like that uh, who has this reputation, like that's not exactly someone you want around your program. Uh, and he, I don't think he's really absorbed that uh, and, and realized the situation. Um, but he's he's been around to games, um, and that, that's obviously something that when there's issues of intimidation and retaliation against players and, and staff uh, detailed in the report, not exactly something that's um, a, a, you know, a good situation to put people in. Somebody definitely leaked that report. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, I mean, so, somebody definitely leaked it and said, we want this to get out because, you know, you know maybe I don't know who it is. I don't care. We want this out so people know. Yeah. Well, when you have a, a report like that, that I, it's a damning report, right? I mean, there's there's stuff in it that Michigan hasn't investigated that I, I don't understand how they haven't. And frankly, it's negligent by the athletics department to leave those unresolved. Uh, I'm thinking of retaliation against Strauss Mann. Uh, I, I'm thinking of some of the, um, if anyone fo- follows the Michigan Tech hockey guy, this wasn't listed in the report, but making players play through injuries. Um, I feel like those are issues that you should investigate and really push into and figure out what's fact, what's fiction. If, you know, if not in terms of like prosecuting the guy, like figuring out if he did it or not. So if he didn't, you clear his name in that regard. Like Mel deserves that. Um, Everyone does. That's, that's kind of how like justice as a system works. Um, But just leaving those open and leaving that on, on ward manual, the athletics director's desk for three months without, you know, making a coaching decision. Yeah, you know that that was the I think that was the goofiest thing, don't you think, yeah. Biggs? It was like there was a time where technically he wasn't under contract. It was nothing was happening, Biggs. Uh, we were all wondering what's going on. Yeah, I I think if Connor spends more time following college athletics, you will learn that when these investigations happen, they are very narrow in scope. They're only investigating one issue. They're not going to discover one and start pursuing that corridor. Yeah. They're going to stick to the one they've been charged with. And Unlike it's politics. Be, <laughs> and it's going to be done by these neutral parties, these you know law firms who are going to do these investigations so that they're not subject 
to Freedom of Information Act requests mm. and everything where the university is going to be involved reviewing this kind of documentation, it'll be like eyes only. It won't be emailed. You know, they'll limit their liability with that. And it all falls down on the athletic director to make a decision, usually in athletics. And if a regent doesn't like it or doesn't like the direction of the university, they tend to leak these things. We've had some of those issues at the University of Minnesota with a lot of different things over the last decade. And it's usually there's a regent who's unhappy and doesn't feel like their voice is being heard. And this is how they do it. Yeah. And, and Michigan, for its part, like obviously with the, the scope of the investigation, uh, it, it's interesting. The report itself in its conclusion uh, or in when it was winding down, I, I don't know if it's directly the conclusions um, subsection. Uh, but recommended opening a new investigation under a different standard practice guide policy uh, for protection against retaliation and basically said, like, we can't do anything here, but look here uh, and, and use this investigation as your scope. And as far as we know, as far as anyone's told us uh, through through some sources, Michigan has not opened up a, a new investigation. Granted, I mean, with, with what's happening with the football team right now, um, they have a, a bigger fish to fry. Um, you know, that's really not a bad thing for the hockey team right now. It's like over here, look what we've got going on over here. We got football problems, and I think the hockey hockey area is kind of like oh, this is probably a good time for this. Maybe the list will just kind of go away, right, Vigs? Hopefully, you just go away. It never does, but you kind of hope that with such a big university and football is king, football could really drown out a lot of the things. It, it can draw out a lot of things, but I think if the athletic department pays attention to what's happening to the hockey program, I think they would see Michigan hockey has not been as successful this year as they could be. And a lot of that falls on the coaching staff. And I believe it's still an interim head coaching yeah. position. Yeah. So maybe they'll make a different decision at the end of the year. I know Bill McCall was originally seen as maybe a coach in waiting at Michigan and maybe his ties to Mel Pearson muddied that, but maybe after a year, that changes, but, it, but it's hard to say. I think the big difference between Michigan and Minnesota right now is Minnesota's players, even when they don't have their a game, they're not feeding the other team's offense. They're not making mistakes. They're not taking lots of penalties and they're able to pull out weekends like they did at Notre Dame where their skill players come through. And I think Michigan's kind of in the opposite place. They don't have the steady players to pull through in these games. I believe they've split every series in the Big Ten so far, except for getting swept by Minnesota at Yost. Which was a goofy thing because a lot of players were out. I know I remember seeing yeah. some of your tweets about that, Connor. You're kind of surprised the game was played at all. But yeah, I think that's just obviously nothing we can control. And right. it was a goofy thing. Uh, we even said on the podcast that was a blessing for Minnesota in disguise to to be able to go to Yost and to play with some of their players out. And Minnesota has the players out, but it wasn't the same. Like the um, top goalie in the Big Ten right now, Justin Close. Yeah. True. True. And, well, I, I kind of want to go on goalies because Portillo, he's had a great career. This year, I think he's he's struggling quite a bit more, I mean, letting in some softer goals. Absolutely. But it also think, but it's also not just him. It's also like a combination of the team in front of him not playing as well, team defensively. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I think any defensive core that loses guys like Nick Blankenberg and Owen Power, if they don't regress, sign that coach to like a fifteen-year contract because <laughs> he's doing something right. Um, 
no, they've they've had good contributors. Um, Ethan Edwards has taken some steps. Seamus Casey has been incredible, at least from an offensive production standpoint. Uh, sometimes makes some some goofy freshman mistakes in his own end, especially in the corners. Um, but but someone that's been reliable. Um, they really really need more out of Luke Hughes in terms of offense. Um, I, he's kind of been the king of the secondary assist here and there, uh, and has been really looking for the offense, but. He obviously hasn't been as, what, 17 goals last season. He's mm-hmm. not been on pace for that. Um, granted, you can't expect that out of a D-man, I feel like. Um, but but it, like like you said, it's like also who's with him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he and, got some great players with you. It allows you more flexibility to to shine. And another thing, Viggs, they kind of know Luke Hughes. They're going to cover him a little differently now. Well, I just think it's a different situation for him coming back after last year with so much success and trying to push to build on it. Uh, If anyone remembers Jackson Lacombe's first half of the year after being an All-American, he really, really struggled. And he wasn't producing the points. He was giving up a lot of chances against, and he went home over winter break and kind of had to refocus. And he came back in the second half of the year, and it was just like he was back to normal. And he just realized that when you're playing defense – in a tough schedule like Minnesota and Michigan play, you can't force the game to happen. Everybody's too good out there and they know who you are and they're going to keep an eye on you. So you have to wait for your moments and then execute. And that's what Lacombe has been doing this year. He's been picking his spots really well when he comes in the zone. He's picking his spots when he, you know, gets rid of the puck. He's doing a better job about bailing the blue line. And I think that's just the maturity that comes with, the veteran blue line core of Minnesota's they understand how to make an impact on a game. And, and he also got to play a little forward in that game at Michigan too. <laughs> Just two shifts. And one of them worked out pretty well. It did, <laughs> but he didn't know what to do on the breakout and in the D zone, which was kind of funny. It is what it is. It's fun. So guys, you know, this week, a big kind of a boost just happened to Minnesota hockey, not Minnesota, the, you know, the school, the state, Viggs, a $75 million donation for St. Thomas to build a, a multi-purpose arena with hockey and basketball. Um, we have always talked about growing the game, and, and this is just good all around. I mean, you look at the old days. Michigan had like 71 teams, and Minnesota had two for the longest time. And now it just keeps growing and growing, and this is a great step for St. Thomas. Yeah, it's really going to put them on the map as a contender for players in the state. Mm -hmm. Anytime you have a donor who's willing to invest as much as the Anderson family has with St. Thomas, that's definitely going to help an institution. I was always wondering where they were going to put this building and having it on campus, I think should be great for their student body. It's going to be a mess for traffic. That's not a great area to get four or 5,000 people in and out of every night, but they'll figure it out. Uh, And I think they're going to start winning some recruiting battles here pretty soon. I, I think Rico's had a tough time getting that program started. Uh, this is certainly going to help. And and Connor, growing hockey, no matter where it is, you know we got we got Augustana coming up next year, and it the, it keeps growing for us college hockey fans. Yeah, yeah, I I, I know a lot of uh, folks in Michigan were really excited when Lindenwood played. It's uh, I think it was what it's third and fourth. D1 games against Michigan, right? Because they played Minnesota first week. Played Minnesota first, yeah. That right? Yeah. So I seeing the the growth recently, and is it Stonehill as well? 
is getting Hills coming. Yep. Yeah. Hills coming. Uh, There's, there's, there's quite a bit of growth. Um, Obviously hoping it's, it's going to be sustained, right? Because you can build teams, but in order to maintain them and keep them, I feel like is with college athletics, the important part, because then you have guys who, you know, commit for four or five years and uh, depending on eligibility, want to end up playing for a program. And then if your program disappears, they're, you know, they're without a home. Um, that's what happened to Noah West, the backup goaltender for Michigan, actually uh, played for Robert Morris. And then those teams got cut after the 2020-2021 uh, season. Uh, so he was basically out of a job and had to had to find someone. Thankfully, uh, his coach, uh, Mike Corbett, had a relationship with Bill McCullough, got him in touch, and Michigan needed a goalie. So it worked out for him. Um, but obviously you don't, you don't want to see that repeated. So when, when you have donors like St. Thomas does that will invest in those facilities kind of shows you, there's a little bit of a, a long-term longevity there. That's going to, going to pay off for them. It's not quite the craziness in college hockey that Mr. Pagula did at Penn state though, Viggs, cause that just literally took college hockey and went like this. It did shake it up because of the big 10 implications, yes. but this gift to St. Thomas, the, the Andersons have, given not only are they paying 75 million for this rink but they've done their previous rec center they've done some other buildings on campus i think this family has given almost like 170 million to st thomas and that's just an amazing number i was looking back at some of the biggest donors to go for athletics and you're seeing like mcnamara pinkney mcnamara donated like 15 million dollars and split it between athletics and liberal arts and we look at the Lindalls who paid money for the athlete village. You know, those numbers are more in that 10 to $15 million, mm-hmm. which is still a very significant gift. It's just not 150, 175 million. Yeah. It's, it's, it's lucky to have those kind of donors yes. academically and for sports. And cause really you cannot get a hockey program going Viggs without a big donation these days. It's just really tough. And I don't think St. Thomas is done with where they're at right now. I think their donors envision them as part of that Catholic seven, maybe a Catholic eight, you know, the Villanova type schools, Marquette, you know, that class of school. And maybe they're eyeing themselves as more of like a Boston uh, college type school. And, and they're definitely on the projection to get to that point. Well, maybe it'll get us a junior tournament Viggs, Cause we're hearing that, uh, Minnesota might put in a bid for 2026 and Connor, you must love the junior tournament too, because obviously Michigan sends a ton of players and it's just the best tournament anywhere. We would love to have it come to the cities. Um, It's starting to look like they might put in a bid Viggs. Would St. Thomas be part of that? It's really hard to say who would put in bids. I know Minnesota has been kind of coy about their involvement, but it would make a lot of sense to have a lot of different buildings in the state of hockey involved in a bit, if they're going to do it and maybe they have the metal games at Excel and just kind of spread the the love around the state. Like they did, I think back in 1980, you know, they played games in Mankato, St. Paul, Duluth, all over the place, Met center. So maybe we'll see something like that again. We just got to get in on it, Connor. The Canadians <laughs> are just hogging it too much. I mean, it went to Buffalo a couple of times, but it's just, yeah. I would love to see it here. Yeah, I'd, again. I'd love to see it in Detroit specifically. Um, no, Bingo, uh, another I, great place. You guys got yeah. the great new arena now too. It's Little Caesars. Yeah. Um, great if they start winning in it. Um, well, yeah, that's that's a whole different story. No, it's Detroit. Detroit sports need uh, 
need to break through here soon. Otherwise, I'm going to go crazy. But uh, no, we, <laughs> I, I think the, the problem with Detroit is like you need that second site. And I don't like you could do Grand Rapids. Um, I don't know if Plymouth being a USA hockey hub, if that would make a whole lot of sense, because I feel like you'd need a paint job at least uh, in order to make it fair to anyone. Um, but, you know, but, they but need I, that but, second site. But yeah, you could do it in the Twin Cities. I yeah. would still like to see it spread out more, like Vigo said. You know, Mankato's got a plenty, a big enough arena, St. Cloud, even Duluth. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, you'd spread it out a little bit. I mean, that, that would work pretty great, Vigs. Yeah, I think you could definitely have, like, double headers at a couple different rinks in the area. Everything's pretty close to each other. And it'd be, it'd be fantastic for college hockey barns. I think this last World Junior showed how nice it can be if you have that smaller 10,000 seat arena or smaller for these types of games, cause you get atmosphere, you know, and when you go into the NHL building and there's only 8,000 people or so there, it just feels flat. And so I, I'm hoping this comes to be, and, and we get to see world junior in Minnesota in 2026. I hope so too. I just, like I said, I just want it in the United States again. And, and, you know, Buffalo is nice, but really it's just across. Well, Detroit is too, like right across the board. You're, you're going to let way too many damn Canadians in yeah. if that happens. And and my opinion too, like I don't – Detroit's a hockey town, right? But that's obviously faded because the Red Wings haven't been relevant mm-hmm. since, what, 2013? I mean, I'm not going to count three years of extending a playoff streak as relevancy. Like they've, they've, been, they've been in some, some dire times. Us, us Wings fans have been hurting. So I don't know if it would get that draw, right? Like yeah. Minnesota, you put it anywhere, there's going to be people in the stands versus Michigan. You'd have to have it really strategically located, especially that B site. Um, but, you'd have but, to have it planned out. But Viggs, I think they would really need to get the wild fans on board, though, too. Because, you know, it, it might not be a a big sell, you know, in St. Cloud. It might not. I don't know. But I don't know. It's difficult to say, Viggs. I seem to remember doing okay when it was in North Dakota. They did pretty well attracting fans for that, and it was way up there. And, well, it also helped help, help that Ovechkin was there and, and Crosby was there. That, well, that we didn't know. We didn't really know Ovechkin and Crosby were quite who they were going to be back then. We were hearing about Crosby. Crosby, for sure. Crosby, yeah. You're telling me that uh, Cole Eiserman isn't going to draw as much attention in the next couple World Juniors? You know, they're, they're players coming. Connor Bedard, you never know who's going to be coming along. That's fair. Yeah, this Fantilli guy. I don't know. I haven't seen I've him never play heard in him. person. I haven't seen him play in person yet. I don't know how good he is. <laughs> Looking forward to that this weekend. Yeah. Well, let's get to that then. Right, Michigan coming to town. It's always fun, you know. Uh, Connor, I will say, besides North Dakota, playing Michigan is always my favorite games. Going back to the '90s when they were playing those college hockey showcases, um, it was always up and down hockey. Great scoring. Not much, so much on the defensive side, but it was just the really fun game. So besides North Dakota, Michigan was always my favorite rivalry. Yeah, I, yeah, I'll, I guess I'll speak to that. I, I know a lot of Michigan fans are, are appreciative of that rivalry. The, uh, it's the the Haliger Mariucci Trophy as well. It seems to be uh, a hot topic for you. Didn't lose it, did you? Huh? Oh, they didn't. No, I, it's in the uh, the coach's office. Trust me, considering the former director of hockey ops for Michigan, he wasn't going to lose it. Um, yeah. Well, Eric Rebel, will Michigan bring back the that. traveling trophy back to Minneapolis now that Mel is out? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's it. Might it might honestly be beneficial uh, that certain people aren't on that staff anymore because <laughs> might not come back in one piece. You, I know you guys know what I'm talking about. I'm oh, not yeah. gonna say the silent part out loud here, but so unless you guys want to, it's your podcast. <laughs> but Vigs, it's gonna be a fun weekend no matter what because. Michigan plays a style of hockey that Minnesota wants to play. Yeah, Ryan Johnson was talking about that in availability today, that he's looking forward to this weekend because it's a chance for the best on best to go up against each other and have some hockey where there's rushes back and forth. You know, I think Minnesota and Michigan both play a style where they want to get up and go north right away, and that's going to be fun to see on the ice this weekend. I know Minnesota was doing lots of full ice rushes, one-on-ones, two-on-twos to prep for this weekend because they know their players are going to get opportunities to get on the fly here. And it'll be interesting to see how Brock Faber, uh, Jackson Lacombe, Ryan Chesley, Mike Kester handle that kind of hockey and how much guys like uh, Matthew Nyes, Logan Cooley take advantage of the opportunities they're going to get because just based on the track record we've seen with the Minnesota forwards, they're going to put some pressure on Michigan when they get the chance. All right, Connor, what does Michigan need to do to be successful this weekend? And what would you consider a successful weekend? A successful weekend is a split at this point. Oh, okay. Uh, for that team, especially against Minnesota. Minnesota's legit, um, has depth that they Michigan, frankly, doesn't have. Um, I, I, think, I think Michigan needs three things. A, they need Eric Portillo to play like last season Eric Portillo. Mm-hmm. He showed flashes that against Ohio State, the team didn't play in front of him. Um, he's had some shaky performances, uh, yes. notably early in the season. Uh, I, I think if he would have been able to play Penn State, I think he would have gotten it together. Um, he's always thrived uh, against Penn State. Uh, last season, he had some pretty good performances out there. Granted, it's a whole different Nittany Lions squad this year uh, in terms of, of how they've been able to compete and really buy into their system. Um so I think Portillo, A, needs to be on his A game. Uh, I think the second, they really need Adam Fantilli to find his scoring touch. Um, he wasn't super noticeable against Ohio State, not in Adam Fantilli ways. Um, his confidence seems to be, I, I don't want to speak for him, it seems to be a little bit dampened uh, because of what happened with him getting put on the fourth line with Canada um, because he was playing a whole different position, playing wing instead of center. Um, you got to think this is a kid that's played center his whole life because he's been the best on the ice since he's – uh, probably since he learned to skate the way he plays. Um, so his his belief in himself, I think, needs to be heightened, uh, and then that'll translate onto the ice. And I think third, Michigan needs to avoid freshman mistakes. Um, mm. You need to make sure that their passes are crisp, make sure they're not turning it over. Uh, the Gophers off the rush will hurt Michigan. Um, it's not a team like uh, even Ohio State where you can give up some rush chances and get away get away with them. Uh, Minnesota is going to cash in if they get enough opportunities. Uh, and Michigan's been very sloppy with that. Just because guys will throw a puck lazily around the around the boards or try to make an extra pass here and there, uh, defensemen will play up too far. Like, it's those little technical mistakes mm-hmm. that they just haven't figured out yet being such a young team. But, Viggs, that's what we love about college hockey. It's the mistakes that make it so exciting. Definitely. And I think as college hockey is going through post COVID and you have all these teams with these super veteran rosters 
where you have graduate players and, and seniors who are, you know, 25, 26 years old, it allows those coaches to squeeze the game and it's less exciting. Flip side, this is a weekend where lots of young talent will be on the ice. So oh, we'll yeah. see some mistakes because we'll see players trying to make plays because they have that skill and that's what they want to show. And I think the coaching staffs for both these programs understand that, that these players are not just coming here to lock down, play defense, and try to squeak out 3-2 wins on the way to a NCAA berth and then just roll the dice. These are teams that want to get up and down the ice, outscore their opponents 5-2, and, and, and get better. So I think for Minnesota, I'd really like to see them get back to their forechecking game. Uh, the last two weekends, I felt like they've been late. Uh, players will be coming mm-hmm. into the zone. They'll basically skate themselves into a dead end by the hash marks, and they'll lose their ability to get the puck deep with any momentum to get the forecheck going, and they've lost their ability to move the puck to a teammate either in the high slot or driving the net. So Minnesota has to make better decisions with crossing the blue line, putting some pressure, getting that forecheck going. I know that's something that they probably should have done more against Notre Dame, mm-hmm. and they didn't. And it resulted them getting their rushes and basically being one and done. You know, they do a hope pass across the middle, come out the other way, Notre Dame's offense gets started, Gophers have play defense. So I'd look for that. The other thing is the penalty kill did pretty well on Saturday for Minnesota. But at times they do chase the puck below the dots um, into the corners. They they need to just stay in their position and, and protect closer in front of the net. He gets in trouble when the puck moves across the Royal Road through the slot. You know, he's a smaller goalie, so he can't really get across like some of the bigger goalies. Like Portillo sometimes can make these creased post-to-post moves and make fantastic saves. Closer's got to rely more on positioning and playing the – puck and making his reads so i think those two things those are things i'm looking for otherwise should be a great weekend i i i'm kind of with you connor i think this weekend is all on portillo i i don't want to put so much pressure on the kid but um you know we were sitting in the in the gopher press box when i believe you guys were playing michigan state and there was a couple bad goals in that game and we're just like what is happening Mm-hmm. Yeah, that he he can, he cannot do that. I mean, no. it's it's just. Um, and, but the thing is, we all know he could steal a weekend easily. Yeah, and and, and that's, that's just, I think so. He's really that. Hey, he could have just a little off, or he could be perfectly on. I think it, the whole weekend depends on him. Yeah, and they've had games like that. Um, even the loss to Ohio State, like Ohio State, could have put up a ten pack. Ooh. They were playing so well, and Portillo made God. He had to make four or five saves that probably should have gone in, whether it was I, – I think Ohio State had like a couple of breakaways that he ended up saving, if I'm remembering right. Uh, a couple times they'd just throw it across the crease and, and see if someone could tip it in and he'd somehow come up with a weird acrobatic, like got his stick on it or got the edge of his pad. Like he's so I, – I don't want to call it like cerebral because it's like it's more luck than instinct I feel like sometimes, but like. He's just good at being lucky and, and you got to be good to be lucky. So yeah. if he that, turns that on, it, that means good things for Michigan, but it, it's like rolling the dice, man. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, you'll see these big goalies. They get so mechanical with their positioning and their save selections that they leave little holes and little gaps in their set for the save. 
And I just wonder if that's what's happening with Portillo is that he's just focusing on his mechanics and he's not trusting his reads and his instincts. Because we talked to Justin Close the other day about, like, what's going on? Like, you're having a great season. You're top of the Big Ten and save percentage goals against. And he's just like, you know, I'm not thinking I'm going to let the puck in when they come down the ice. I'm trusting my read and I'm playing on instinct. And I'm being aggressive. And I think that's just a great mindset for any goalie to have. And when you have that little doubt in your mind and you're just kind of going through the motions and trusting your technique, but not really trusting your instinct, that's when you can get into trouble and you just need some games and shots to get it back. It's really hard to get that back in practice because it is such a mental thing to get through. I I don't know. Wild fans saw that with Darcy Kemper. You know, he was such a mental (laughs) challenge Mm -hmm. goalie with the wild. And then he goes to the avalanche and he wins the Stanley cup, you know? So it's, it's, Hard to predict the goaltending stuff, but I think that is a huge key this weekend for Michigan. Is is Portillo back or is he still struggling? Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I like I said, I think he's the key. Um otherwise it if Portillo's not on, it could get ugly. Which I, I don't want to see. <laughs> yeah. And you know, m- many Many years ago, there was a game like that at Minnesota playing Michigan at Mariucci. It was one of those college hockey showcases. It was like, I mean, Minnesota put up eight on them, had like two shorthanded goals in the same shift or something like that. And it just got out. I'm like, this isn't the rivalry I'm used to. Yeah. Um. So I, I want to see some fun games this weekend. I want to see some scoring vegs because you know, really the scoring has been down for Minnesota for a couple weeks here. They haven't gotten anything really back since the break. Well, I think they've just been rusty. Like we've seen them make great individual plays to score their goals, but you're not seeing great possession, long stretches of pressure, connected shifts, which is what Minnesota needs to do to be successful. They are going to probably be without Luke Middlestat this weekend, who picked uh-huh. up an injury at Notre Dame. I know they're waiting on some x-rays to kind of see what the situation was there with him. I think they'll probably keep him out this weekend, just to be cautionary. So I don't know if that means we might see uh, Carl Fish in the lineup or not, or, or what they'll do with their extra skater. Uh, I've liked the way Charlie Strobel's been playing. Maybe they play middle stat and Strobel for a weekend as they, those two have been rotating in and out. And I think they had a nice forechecking element for Minnesota, which is what the coaching staff is looking for. So you'd think they'd reward that kind of play, but we'll see what the staff wants to do there. All right, Connor, let's get your predictions on the weekend. What are the points? Who gets what? Ooh. Um, I think, okay, this is tough because I think the first game's going to decide it. I think if Minnesota wins the first game, because like Michigan just likes to drop every every opener, um, I think it'll be an even an even three and three split. Um, that's that's what my gut's telling me. But I think if Michigan wins the first, I think they'll get at least four out of the six. Because I think if they get that confidence and Portillo's feeling it, if Adam Fantilli can uh, get something going, and I know this week um, he's going to play with uh, Dylan Duke and Gavin Brindley is going to be his right wing instead of Samo Scavage. Um, I think if he can kind of get that scoring going and they get two lines rolling, I think that could spell some really good things for Michigan. Uh, but I think that first game is going to decide okay. uh, if three or four. Okay, Viggs, big crowd Friday night. They're sold out. And as long as the students show up, I 
hope they do because it just makes such a big difference. Uh, it could be quite the atmosphere, but what happens on the ice? Well, class is back in session, I believe. That's good. For the University of Minnesota. So the players are back in their routine. Hopefully the fans are back in their routine as well. And we see a good atmosphere because that makes the game better for everybody. I really think this is a weekend where Minnesota's talent gets to shine. These are not teams that are going to sit back and play defense. They're going to take chances. I think it's almost easier for Minnesota to get up for a weekend like this because they know the stars on the other side of the ice. And I think it's always easier to get your game going when you know you're playing against an A-quality team. I feel like Minnesota's consistency is going to shine this weekend. They're going to get the six points. I just don't see the consistency in Michigan's puck possession in their blue line and the way they're defending right now. And Minnesota's first power play is clicking. And it's not necessarily because they're moving the puck rate, but they've got so much talent on that group. And I see that being a little bit of deficiency for the Wolverines. I see an overtime victory Friday night, a bigger victory Saturday. So Minnesota takes five out of six. Um, of course, we're going to be homers here. That's what we do. <laughs> you know what's interesting is I was looking at some of the ratings in college hockey and one of them is strength of schedule and i just think this is fascinating number one strength of schedule notre dame number two minnesota number three michigan state number four michigan number seven penn state even with them playing all their cupcakes or seven eight ohio state ten wisconsin wow so four strength of schedule big 10 teams are all in the top 10 which is just amazing to me but and, and I think that means that the teams coming out of the Big Ten are in a great position to get number one seeds in the NCAA tournament. I know Bob dismissed that with the media this week. It's too yeah, early to look that. at pairwise. That's his job. Too early to look at seedings. I think this is exactly the right time to look at seedings, and this is a huge weekend towards deciding who gets that number one seed. Hey, 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 but the NCHC is the toughest conference in college hockey. Hey, they're yeah, on I'm top until they're not. Fans here, Matt. They're on top until they're not. Yeah, and, that's uh, fair. And, uh, you know, we, we have talked about it at length over the years that uh, the Big Ten happened at the wrong time because when it happened, Michigan was way down. Wisconsin was way down. Michigan State hasn't won a Big Ten playoff game yet no. in 10 hey, seasons. Season. I, so I, would, I would bet some money that this season they break that. I. But wouldn't it be funny if they didn't? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I will believe it when we see it. Yeah, that'll be yes. next year with all the recruits they land in. But but I mean, you just look at the historical team. It just okay. happened. And that's why you know that's why Minnesota won what three or four in a row league titles. Yeah. The other teams were down. It just it was just a well, it was bad timing all around. So yeah. Well, I think it's an interesting year to look at the NCAA tournament bids because of the three regionals basically being out east. And the Western Regional being in Fargo. And it looks like North Dakota's on the bubble right now. But I really think you want to get that number one overall seed because if you get like the three or four and North Dakota makes it as 13, you're playing North Dakota in Fargo, which is not, I mean, it's going to not be a great atmosphere. It's going to be a great atmosphere, but it's not what you'd prefer, probably. So I think it's really important for teams who are looking ahead is to take advantage of the opportunities they have on their schedule. And Penn state's going to be in Allentown, no matter what. 
Oh yeah. They are there. Yep. That's they're the host of that that uh regional. So they'll be in the Allentown regional. Yeah, good point. So it's it's those seedings are gonna be tricky. I'm guessing Minnesota or the like or or even Denver or somebody that they're gonna be way out east. Yeah. Similar yep. to other seasons. So and the eastern schools will be the lesser seeds out there, bees. Yeah, but it's interesting. Like the number one overall seed is going to play Atlantic Hockey. True. Number two overall seed is probably going to play the CCHA champion, which maybe could be Minnesota State. So that's going to be an interesting <laughs> game as well. It'd be, yeah. That's why I love college hockey, guys. This is, you know, we our teams are rivals, but uh, boy, um, we're we're still fans at heart. I mean, you, you've got it, Connor, you're covering it. It's hard to not to be a fan of the sport when you're covering it. Aren't you? No, college, college hockey is, is the best collegiate sport. In my opinion, I, I love, you know, love men's and women's hoops, love, love the football atmosphere, but it's something about the, I'll say the connection between a mm-hmm. fan base and its team that it, it's just different about college hockey. Maybe it's the smaller student sections. Maybe it's cause it's a more niche sport. Like, Something about it. It's just the energy's a, a lot better. And Connor, how I, many, I, well, go ahead, Beeks. How many buildings have you been to, and and what are some of your favorite moments on the road? I, I think that's one of the great things. I have to list these off. So one of the great things about the Michigan Dailies, they send you guys on the road. Yeah, do a lot of games. Um, okay. Except he's not coming to Mariucci. He's already been. He twice. True. Twice. We yeah. got to send the send the rookies. Um, no. Um, ben Yost. Uh, Lawson, great atmosphere. Um, Taffy Abel up in the up in the UP, fantastic barn. Uh, the Foghorn is ridiculous. Um, I'm trying to piece together last season. <laughs> Mariucci, um, County Island Town, I guess, and TD Garden. Um, but those aren't really college hockey barns. Um, what other road games? Notre Dame. Last season, um, I'd like to get to Notre Dame. Pagula, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that. Oh, and Schottenstein, OSU. Um, I think that's it because Michigan decided to host everyone last season, um, and this season the the schedule just didn't align. So mm-hmm. I got to go out to the Kohl Center in Wisconsin. I know, um, but we'll we'll make that happen. I think that's the only Big Ten barn I haven't been to. And actually, this weekend, covering Friday, but Saturday, I've got tickets. I always try to get to at least one game a season as a fan. Just uh, keep keep the fandom going, you know, and and just forget about getting the photo or getting this, you know, covering. Just enjoy the game. So I'm going to the Saturday Michigan game, and then I'm going to uh, Cole Center for the weekend for the first time in 16 years. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. A few of us have been talking in the stats crew and, and others that we want to go to Yost next year. Yeah, there you go. And that would be fun. Just, you know, or, or just, you know, just road trips. And I've never been there. I think it'd be fun to go. Yeah. There, so no, next, hopefully. next season would be fun at Yost. That, you know, I, I could recommend that one. I think. That would be <laughs> So, Connor, what are you working on right now? Are you working on anything, anything hockey that since you're uh, not coming this weekend, or are you covering uh, some hockey stuff? Well, some Keaton Pearson fans might be uh, intrigued. 
Uh, gonna gonna write a, a feature about him to go out tomorrow. Uh, well, probably 1 a.m. Friday when mm-hmm, it was published, mm-hmm. but you know, tomorrow according to the, the schedule here. Kind of kind of writing about him and his role, how it's changed at, at Michigan, and uh, obviously he's been a huge glue guy for them. Uh, elevated the games with some pretty fantastic defensemen. Um, so he's sort of looking into that. He still has his fifth year available. I don't. I don't know if he'll get that. I don't know why Michigan would say no because they don't really have any D-men coming in as recruits, um, but they've made stranger decisions. So yeah, um, working on that, uh, working on a piece about NIL um, for Ooh. international athletes, which is a problem because uh, when they have a work v- uh, student visa, they can't make money. Uh, so Adam Ooh. Fantilli has made $0 in NIL. Eric Portillo, $0. Um, Owen Power, Kent Johnson, Goose Egg, so... Um, interesting. We might yeah. have to get into some of that in overtime here. I'd like to hear yeah. about a little more about that. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, Connor, I thank you for coming on. It's nice to have yeah, you no on. For the, Thanks for having on me on the show this week. Um, you know, if we play Michigan later on down the road, we might have to have you on again. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested. Could bring in, uh, if I'm in the newsroom, that's, that's where I'm at now. One of the, the auxiliary rooms, mm. maybe I have some other guys from the beat come on, but yeah. Anytime. Yeah. Anytime. Well, we appreciate it. Vs, you got any last words for this weekend? Just hoping the students show up. Hope the students show up. I know Ryan Johnson talked a lot today about developing his offensive game. We saw that uh, the other night in uh, South Bend. So we'll look for that again with the Michigan series. All right. All right. Well, you know, that's going to do it for the GPL podcast. We'll be back next week to wrap up this series with Michigan and preview Michigan State as they come into Mariucci. Of course, again, we thank Connor for coming on the show. For those of you watching live, stay tuned for a little bit of overtime. For the rest of you, we'll see you next week on the GPL Podcast.